0: So good to see everybody. What a great thing to be together today. I think we did this last week, but I think it'd be good to do it again. Um, When we walked in last Sunday, there were people who had been so busy decorating the colonnade and here on the platform and all the things that we see that are Christmas oriented. How about we give them a good hand again? Aren't they doing a great job? Really awesome. Really puts us in the spirit. It really does. I'm so glad to be with you. If I've not met you yet, my name is Todd. My wife Brenda and I are so thankful to be a part of Grace and appreciate the opportunity to bring the word today. Uh, It is a wonderful season to be a part of. A lot of great memories, I'm sure, that you're thinking through and making more as we head toward Christmas. I was reminded today of an occasion, I think it was year two that Brenda and I had been married, just shortly after we had gotten married and we were spending Christmas uh, at our modest little apartment in St. Louis and uh, prior to that I decided to go shopping to get Brenda a gift and you know, I don't know how you are fellas but I go and when I shop I pretend like I know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And I went to the department store, I wanted to get Brenda something to wear, a blouse and so I, I went to the department store and I walked into the ladies blouse section. And lo and behold, right there on the front rack, right where I pulled up the cart, was this beautiful blue blouse. It was really nice. And I thought, that looks like her. She looks good in blue. And I thought, all my anxiety about having to sort through a bunch of clothes is now gone because it's right there. And so I checked, you know, looking for medium. Yeah, that's good. You know, price was good. So I thought, this is a piece of cake. You know, so I grabbed the blouse, I put it in our cart and I, or my cart, and I, I brought it to the front, and I, I checked it out, and got it home, and wrapped it up, and we then gathered in our living room for Christmas morning. I was so excited to give her this gift; I knew she'd love it, and so I gave it to her. She opened it up, unwrapped it, and have you ever had someone react differently than the way you anticipated them reacting? She held it up. And then she informed me of two very important things. Number one, when people shop in department stores, they don't always put what they look at back in the spot that they got it from. And the second thing she informed me was even more important, and that was the word maternity starts with an M. And so we took that back after Christmas. So so many memories of Christmas. I hope you're enjoying them, whatever they are. We have ups and downs, of course, but what a great thing for us to be together celebrating this season of Advent. I'm so grateful. We're looking at the story of Christmas revealed to us throughout the Bible and specifically this week, the promise of Christmas through the prophetic words of individuals who arrived on the scene long before a baby did in Bethlehem. If you have a Bible, look at Isaiah 59 with me, and uh, it'll be on the screen as well. Isaiah 59, and then we'll also make reference to a couple of verses, three verses in this next chapter, chapter 60 of Isaiah. We'll read those in just a moment. In, uh, in, In the 20th century, late 20th century, 24 years ago in fact, Movie director Steven Spielberg created and directed and released a movie about World War II that has aged very well. It really has. In fact, there are many that still consider that movie to be the greatest war movie ever produced. And leading up to Saving Private Ryan, I remember reading articles and online things that people were saying about the preview that some people had gotten of it. And I read the same thing over and over and over again as I read about this upcoming movie. It, they all said the same thing. Don't miss the first 23 minutes. Some of you may remember this. Don't miss the first 23 minutes. In that opening scene, what's communicated, they're saying, is so realistic and so powerful and so impacting that it's going to set the foundation to understand and appreciate the rest of the movie. I went on to see that much later. That was 1998 and I can say that's true. Don't miss those first 23 minutes. But how about something more recent? How about 2022? How about last weekend? Last Sunday, about three quarters of the way through Pastor Don's message, Pastor Don made a statement. And because I grew up a radio geek, I want you to hear it Again, it's just 30 seconds. Go ahead, guys. So maybe at this point you're thinking, what is up with this guy? Doesn't he know it's the Christmas season? I mean, what's up with all this sin and death and judgment stuff? I mean, why in the world are you telling us this in the midst of this holiday season when everyone's caught up in the warm, good feelings of Christmas? Well, it's really not to discourage you or ruin your holiday. And it's not to make you feel guilty or condemned. But maybe here's why. All right, did you catch it? That was a pivot right there. That was a turn. When Pastor Don made that statement, maybe here's why, last Sunday when he said that, I literally, you can ask Brenda, I turned to her and I said to her softly, here comes the gospel. <laughs> and because I'm still a radio geek, I just want to say this. Don't miss the last 10 minutes and 23 seconds of last week's message. Don't miss it. If you have to go back today and watch anything online, watch the last 10 minutes and 23 seconds of last Sunday's message. Because what happened after that pivot, when he said, here's why, was, and I'd say this even if he wasn't sitting here, one of the clearest one of the most powerful, most significant presentations of the gospel that I have ever heard, and it was all set up for us because of the need for Christmas being explained. In the beginning of the scriptures, we're told, and we were told last week, that the reason we have Christmas is because there was a dire need, and the reason because of sin and and shame and guilt, all of that proved the need for Christmas. Christmas. Last week, we heard a very important word spoken to us, and today, we're going to hear, I believe, a chorus of voices that lived long ago that add to that choir, all pointing to one story and a Savior who has literally changed the world. Let's read the scriptures together. Isaiah chapter 59, beginning with verse 20 through the end of the chapter, and then the first three verses of Isaiah 60. Isaiah writes these words, God speaking through the prophet, and a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Verse 1 of chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The big idea in these last few verses of Isaiah 59 and the introductory verses of Isaiah 60 are quite simple, really. It's in dark times... God is at work doing things worth waiting for. I believe that with all my heart. Let's look at that together. But first, let's pray and ask the Lord by his spirit to help us as we hear the word today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of opening up the Bible. God, we do that with gratefulness and thankfulness, Lord. God, I just pray that as the next few minutes go by that you'll help us to be having ears to hear a mouth to speak, and a heart to listen to what you have to say to us. God, God, please go far beyond my ability, far beyond anything I can say, and you speak to us through your word, Lord. Holy Spirit, you inspired these words. Now illuminate our hearts to understand them and help us to be changed because of the promise you've given us through Christ. I pray it all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If I was to ask you today to take out a piece of paper and write down a prediction of who you think was going to win the Super Bowl on February 12th, 2023, we would have a lot of guesses, some of them blackbird-oriented. Undoubtedly, all of the guesses would contain varying degrees of confidence. That confidence probably would change week to week as we walk through the remaining weeks of the season. But if I was to then ask you to take a second piece of paper and write down a prediction of who you think was going to win the Super Bowl in the year 2722, probably the certainty level in your mind would plummet. Because who knows that? Two months from now, fine. But 700 years from now? you got to be kidding me. When we're reading the words of Isaiah, we're reading words given by the Holy Spirit to a man who wrote them down in approximately 700 B.C. This is seven centuries before a manger. 700 years before angels and a star and shepherds and swaddling clothes. But from the mouth of that prophet comes a promise from God that someone was coming and when he would come everything would change. Now, a bit of context from Isaiah would be helpful, I think. Isaiah was one of God's spokesmen to God's people at the time of his writing to the southern part of God's people. If you can think of God's people geographically, a northern section and a southern section, the northern section, a, a colleague, as it were, of Isaiah, would be Hosea the prophet, who ministered to that northern section of God's people. Isaiah and his other colleague, we, we name him Micah, he's the one that wrote about Bethlehem being the birthplace of Jesus. You may have read that before. Those two men minister to the southern group of God's people. And Isaiah was the spokesman to that southern area. He was a contemporary. And all of this is occurring about a hundred years before the Babylonian captivity that we heard about in our Daniel series. To give you a little point of reference, Isaiah spoke indictment against Judah, the southern people's sins, urging them to repent. He then foretold destruction upon them if they continued to go in the way they were going. And we read Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 and 21, but go with me now to the start of that chapter. It's going to give us a little bit of texture to understand the words that we get to at the end of the chapter. Look at Isaiah chapter 59, the first verse and the second verse of that same chapter. Isaiah is writing about the sins of God's people, and he says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. We're talking about significant issues of sin that has separated the people of God from God himself. Now, it begs the question in what way does sin separate us from God? I think sin doesn't necessarily separate us from the presence of God because God is present everywhere. He's with us right now and will be with us next Sunday and the Sundays following that. Psalm 139 verse 7 tells us, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Even Satan himself is said to have had an audience with God. Job chapter 1 verse 6 says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So it doesn't necessarily separate us from the presence of God, nor does it necessarily separate us from the love of God, because God loves sinners. Is there anyone that would say, thank God? That's okay to say it out loud too. Thank God. God loves sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But because it doesn't separate us in those two ways, let's not think it doesn't separate us. It still separates us. It separates us from the, the fellowship of God because at least at the point of our sin, we're no longer thinking alike with God. It separates us from the blessing of God because at least at the point of our sin, we're not trusting in God alone and relying on him. It also separates us from some of the benefits of God's love, even as the prodigal that we heard in our most recent series Our prodigal, he still was loved by his father but didn't enjoy the benefits of his love while he was in sin. So Isaiah the prophet is urging his audience to turn from their sin that was separating them from God. But notice with me, Isaiah was not simply making commentary about their sin, but in the midst of the commentary, he shared a solution to the problem. The first point I want to remind us of today is that this, God saw our mess and has already done something about it. Praise God. Look again at verse 20. In the midst of the sin talk, and all through the verses at the beginning of Isaiah 59, all through them, you can read them on your own, all through those, we get to verse 20, and the same writer Isaiah writes these words, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from their transgressions. The Redeemer will come to Zion. Notice with me, if you read through the chapter, after speaking in the third person through the prophet, through all of the chapter, now when he gets to these verses, the Lord speaks in the first person through the prophet, and he declares a Redeemer is coming. When the Jewish mind would hear the word Redeemer, they would understand a great Hebrew word. Put it in your mind to think about it today. It's the word Goel, the go well. We we say it this way sometimes. The the kinsmen. Redeemer Isaiah is saying a redeemer is going to come, a goel is going to come. What was a kinsman redeemer? He was responsible to to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. A kinsman redeemer was responsible to be the avenger of blood against a murderer of a family member. He was responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited. The kinsman redeemer, the goel, was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. In a very real sense, we see that the goel the kinsman redeemer was responsible to safeguard the family when the bible then capitalizes r in redeemer it does so rightly because the prophet is saying 700 years before the arrival the redeemer is coming the goel is coming there is one coming. He's going to be our kinsman, redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman, redeemer. He is the one that has bought us out of slavery. He is the one who avenges the wrongs unto us. Jesus is the one who protects our inheritance and blesses and guards our posterity. Isaiah is making a promise. I've got good news, Judah. There's a redeemer coming, and we now know because of history his name is Jesus, a redeemer is coming so turn from your sins turn from your transgressions he is going to do for you what you can't do for yourself and don't miss with me the transactional beauty of what isaiah is saying skip back ahead in the or earlier in the chapter again isaiah 59 verse 10 notice this list of things because of their sin this is what it had done to them we grope For the wall, like the blind, we grope like those who have no eyes. Verse 11, salvation, it's far from us. Verse 12, our transgressions are multiplied before you, God. Our sins testify against us. Verse 13, we've turned back from following our God. We speak oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. That kind of sin had kept Judah But in the midst of that, the prophet says a promise is coming. The Redeemer is going to come. And when he comes, everything will change. Let me give you Mosaic Law 101 in about two minutes. Sin and transgressions against the Mosaic Law have to be atoned for. The Jewish people knew this. They had to be made right through sacrifice. Sacrifice. That's why when we read the Old Testament and we see animal after animal being offered as sacrifice, the reason for that is that blood was required by the Mosaic law for sin. Whether a known or unknown sin, once the error or sin was realized, the transgressor had to bring a sin offering to the temple. Without the sacrifice, there was was debt in the individual's ledger against the Lord that had to be dealt with. Because everyone sins, everyone had debts to be paid, which ultimately had to get paid through the death of sacrifice. During the time of sacrifice, the dilemma was that it was frequent and it was expensive and no one could truly pay in full for their sins because they would just sin again. But into this mess, the prophet Isaiah introduces another player. He said a redeemer. Redeemer. Is coming someone who is going to put an end to sin someone who's going to pay a price a sacrifice once and for all it's why we read in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 Hebrews is just full of Jesus chapter 9 verse 12 he that's Jesus entered once for all into the holy places not by means of blood of goats and calves but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. We have been redeemed. Let me just throw this in for free. There's a great passage in Psalm 107. It says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Here's it. Don't miss it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, I grew up in a, lively church and a a, a responsive church the church when you said turn in your bible someone in the back said amen we don't have to do that here i understand but it was not unusual for us to have testimony service i don't know if we even do that any churches anymore right testimony service the pastor would get up we're gonna have testimony service anyone got a testimony burning in your heart someone would pop up and inevitably in the testimony service Someone would turn and they would finish their testimony by saying, I'm just glad I'm redeemed. And everyone else would say, Amen. I'd love for you not to testify, don't worry. I'd love for you to turn to someone if you've been redeemed, if the promise has been made real in your life, whether recently or a long time ago, I would love for you right now to turn to a loved one or a neighbor next to you and simply say, I've been redeemed. Come on, say it. Would you do that? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. There is something that happened when the prophet promised the redeemer, and that was that God saw our mess, and he did something about it. But a solution to our mess isn't the only thing God's people have been promised. Look at verse 21 with me. And as for me, God is still speaking through Isaiah. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Not only did God see our mess and do something about it, but secondly, through the coming Redeemer, God has promised an abiding spirit and an enduring word, things that stay with us. That's an agreement, God said through Isaiah. We use the word covenant, but it's so much more than just the word agreement. It's an ironclad guarantee for people who turn from their sin. God is saying, you turn from your transgressions, the Redeemer is going to take and he's going to place his spirit and his word and it's going to be with you. God will give and continue his word and spirit to his church and people through all generations. Isaiah promised that. And, and if the words of Isaiah alone, that'd be enough. But listen to the echo of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put the law within them. And I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What makes the new covenant possible? The question is, who makes the new covenant possible? The answer is Jesus, the promised one, the redeemer the one who came to take away our sins. I, Hebrews chapter nine again says this, verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of, of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death that occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. A spirit that stays with us, a word that endures forever because a promised redeemer arrived into the world. Praise God. Finally, part of the promise that we read in Isaiah 59 and now Isaiah 60, is something that will keep us going when it seems impossible to keep going. I, I wrote it in my notes this way. It's a simple phrase, but I hope it helps. Never forget that when the light comes, darkness flees. Now, Isaiah could not have known the full extent of verses 1 through 3 of this, of what we call the 60th chapter. He lived long before Christ came. But we now understand that the promise he said was coming was the light of the world. And when the light comes, darkness has to flee. Look at verse 2 of Isaiah 60. For behold, darkness... We're going back to the darkness description. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick... Darkness, the people's. But when we read this part of Isaiah's words about the promised redeemer, and it seems like we're back into the, the worst part of description of what's happening in Judah and even in our world today, let's be, let's be careful not to stop reading. It was in chapter 59, they were groping for the wall. And even today, isn't it true that it seems like things are very dark Do you believe that? I believe that. It seems like the longer we go along, the things that are turned upside are turned upside down. Things that we never used to argue about, we now look at it completely different. And in the midst of this darkness, it's easy to get filled with anxiety. Is there anyone here, don't answer out loud or raise your hand, but is there anyone here who's looked at what's going on in the world and you think, what in the world is going on? Isaiah could relate, darkness covering the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but don't stop reading. What happens in the last part of that chapter, I was reminded of this week as I thought back to my childhood. Worship team, you, you can come on. I, I am a child of the 70s. I grew up as a teenager in the 80s. Just to give you a point of reference, when I was growing up in the 70s, the late 70s, so I was eight, nine years old or so, my brother, I have a twin brother, we would love watching cartoons on Saturday. Many of you perhaps have done that. And it was just on Saturday. Because we didn't have the Cartoon Network back in the Dark Ages. It was just Saturday. We had several channels we could choose from. I think we had four. (laughs) But we had selections. And so every Saturday morning, we would get up. We'd make our way to the room where the television was, and we would turn on the television. If we didn't like what we were watching, we could change the channel, literally getting up, walking to the TV, grabbing a knob and conk, changing the channel. Some of my people are here. I can tell you're here. Yeah. And there were lots of great cartoons in the 70s. I I could list a bunch, but if you grew up that time, you probably know them too. But one of them was so unique because it was unlike anything else. It was was a a cartoon that, that didn't last 30 minutes like most of them did. It only lasted three minutes. And we would look forward to it. They normally, the people, TV people, put it either at the bottom of the hour or the top of the hour to kind of get you to the point. And when it came on, my brother and I would just watch because it was so cool. They had cool graphics, at least for the 70s. They had really catchy music. And we would watch it. And the cool thing about this cartoon, this three-minute cartoon, is that you would learn stuff. You would learn stuff about, about economics and science and history, and civics, and also grammar. And we would watch it, it was a great thing. It started in 1973, it went all the way to 1984, and we would watch it. The name of this cartoon that lasted only three minutes was Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah. And we love Schoolhouse Rock, because we learn stuff. And I remember the the catchy music, and I don't remember all the songs, but some of the songs are really memorable. One in particular really stuck in my mind. To this day, I can remember the name of the song. It's a weird title. But I told my kids about this, and they looked at me in this weird look. I said, you don't understand, but you had to have been there. The name of the song that is the most popular song in my estimation of schoolhouse rock is a song called Conjunction Junction. Some of y'all felt the Holy Spirit right there. I believe it. <laughs> Conjunction, junction, what's your funk? <laughs> Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Conjunction, junction, how's that function? I got three favorite cars that get most of my job done. One more verse. Conjunction, junction. <laughs> What's their function? I got and, but, and or, they'll get you pretty far. And I learned as I listened to that song about what a conjunction was. And, but, or, or. It's a connecting word. It takes something here and something here and it brings the two of them together. They're not the same things, but they're connected by this thing called a conjunction. It's a a connection, but it's also a hinge. It kind of moves you from one thought to the next. Don't stop reading the second verse of Isaiah chapter 60. The darkness is bad. It covers the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Thank God for the prophet who spoke words as the spirit inspired him to remind us all hope is not lost. We can know a redeemer who's coming and when he comes, the light is going to cause the darkness to flee. In the midst of the 2022 darkness, have no fear, Grace Community Church. If you're a believer, we are tapped into the goel. We're tapped into the redeemer. We're tapped into the promised one that Isaiah said. And if we will stay close to him, that light is going to make the darkness flee. Praise God. In a very practical way. In a very practical way, I saw this the last two months at our church. His glory will be seen upon you. October 23rd, I sat in our regular section right over there and I watched Olivia and Ricky and Clara and Logan each stand up here and testify of their faith. And when they got done, they made their way over here and got down in here and one of the pastors buried them into christ and they came up with the glory of god upon them why because they're the light that now takes the light of jesus into their world and i looked over at brenda i'm just bawling over there my god i'm just a mess over there and if that wasn't enough november 6 we did it again Rachel and Amelia, they got up and they gave their testimony of faith. They came down in the baptistry. They were baptized by a pastor. I was a mess again. And then November 20th, Andrea and Brian, I will never forget your testimonies. And I will never forget your face as you came up out of the water. And the light of Jesus was all upon them. Not in some weird, hocus-pocus way, but in the glory of God. What is our hope, Grace Community? Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is the Redeemer, the promised one. Together, when the light comes, the darkness will flee. How do we apply it? If you need to turn from your sin today, turn the Goel is available, the Redeemer is here, but Isaiah reminded us to turn from your transgressions and and appropriate that Redeemer. Maybe we can pray the words of Isaiah, a different place, for unto us is born a Savior, wonderful, Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Maybe we can pray those words. Thank you, Jesus, that you're all those things that the prophet said you were maybe finally we can just tell Jesus we're looking forward to him coming again. The message of the Old Testament was simple. The Redeemer is coming. And the primary message of the New Testament is this. The Redeemer is coming. I want you to come, Lord. As Revelation says, even so come, Lord Jesus, the promised one. I'd like you to stand with me, everybody. Would we just gather together one more time in prayer? We're going to sing a song Proclaiming the Lord as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But let's pray one more time and thank God that through Christ we have been given access to this promise. This Christmas makes it all worthwhile as we remember the words of the Redeemer coming into our world. Let's pray and thank God for that. Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you that you reminded us from words written and spoken many, many centuries ago millennia ago from our time of a redeemer who was coming and god we just want to say thank you that for those of us that follow you we have understood who that redeemer is that through jesus we have hope we have salvation the darkness has fled we now live in light and we see that lived out among us on a regular basis lord thank you for doing that we give you praise and we declare you to be who you are the king of kings And the Lord of Lords, there's no one like you. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. We pray in the name of the Redeemer, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God.